Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 169, third quarter earnings, but what about Sanofi? Dividend Talk is your number one podcast for all things dividend and stock market related with a unique European flavor. My name is Derek from Engineer My Freedom and I'm joined with my co-host European DJI. If you want to learn more about us, please visit europeandji.com where we have articles on dividend growth investing, including 30 European dividend aristocrats. While you're there, you might as well grab our free dividend portfolio tracker template. We also offer a premium dividend growth service featuring a bi-weekly newsletter which includes stock deep dives, dividend stock cards and access to our dashboard with over 130 dividend growth stocks. All of this is based on our very own dividend safety analysis. But enough about that, please grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. See you on the inside. Hey, European DJI. More earnings and lots of questions today. It's, it's going to be a busy episode. Hallelujah. Yeah. And unfortunately, already for some of the listeners, uh, we, we can't address all the questions today. We got so many questions about stock tickers, and we're not Jim Cramer, right? We're not a walking encyclopedia. So we often need to look a little bit up. And we also take our listeners serious. So we don't just want to answer something without uh, or by only looking at the headlines. But oh my God, on Facebook, in our Facebook group at Dividend Talk, and if people are not part of it, please join us. But we got such a nice poem from Gordon. And it was really a, an, an ode of love to, to, to the Dividend Talk podcast. And I just have to read it. May I? Yes, I think you should. I think you should. Okay, let's go. Two European fellas with a shared passion. Cash flow never goes out of fashion. Looking for freedom or a fat fire? Here you find everything a dividend heart desires. Deep dive analysis next to shooting the breeze, carried out with, with humor and ease. Jokes about bankers and litigation dissection, hidden gems and honest reflection. There's talk of shower curtains and talk of cash flow. There's even vodka drinking live on the show. From work-life balance to balance sheets, on parenting, discipline and earnings beats aristocrat or king there's nothing sacrilegious so watch out nestle although you're prodigious silly innuendos and abusing ceo ceos strap on stinky here everything goes <laughs> never sell shell watch out for adjusted adjusted is sometimes one step from busted yes i'm looking at you abm and don't go and don't go hiding buyer r3m innovation disruption or your everyday sin with dividends there are many ways to win so stick to dividends girls and boys don't go ashtray looking for other toys though the road we've chosen is steady and slow you to shorten the road for the average joe 168 times you've recorded 168 times i've been rewarded you're my consumer staple on my sunday run you make sure that the waiting is fun to these two gentlemen 
their praises I sing. May their cups of dividends be filled to the brim. Wow. Gordon. Oh, wow. It, honestly, I think that was amazing. It's so, it actually sums up dividend talk like in a nutshell, doesn't it? It's, it's, I, I was speechless and beyond words with, with that. Uh, but yeah, okay. Hey, you know, we still have a whole show to do fully packed but uh yeah these love letters keep them coming i love fan mail thank you thank you thank you <laughs> and hey, to, to get to just show a token of appreciation back then because i'm an owner of apfi and gordon i hope you too because we decided today to hike the dividend by 4.7 percent to 1.55 quarterly so i hope you own apfi and i i really really hope you you really appreciate this token of appreciation back from us as shareholders and the next one of course is visa i don't own visa but oh my god they hiked their dividend by 15.6 percent to 52 cents quarterly it's amazing right and and for me this is the example of a low growth uh, sorry high growth low dividend stock that if you bought it 10 years ago you will be almost now on the yield of horizon but you will be bypassing it in this fast ferrari in the next two three years and a nice demonstration of why we should have um how is it a mix in our portfolio and not only the high yields yeah i think i think visa demonstrate what a real moat is doesn't it i mean it's it's yeah. it's gro growth has been fantastic and i always i always think back to one of the first interactions i've ever had with dividend wave i used to post all the charts and remember he posted one of slow growth um what was it low dividend yield and high growth and high dividend yield and low growth and and seeing that chart bypass it's um always always every time i see visa it, it brings me back to that but it's a company that i wish i owned 15 years ago honestly it's been it's it's just just one of those companies it always seems overvalued for a reason it's it's a premium company it's one of these tier one companies we always would talk about it's just the yield is so low and and you'd be thinking yourself now can they continue this growth 10 years into the future but by the looks of it there's no stopping them yeah i mean i i, I wish i bought it one time and i didn't it, it is like it is right it is what it is exactly i, I remember when i was doing my option trade and i i had picked between visa and baba alibaba and i chose the wrong one and baba ended up losing a lot of money on baba instead i could have went with visa and, and and made a lot of money so yeah decisions but yeah it's it's top quality company but hey let's look at some of the news of the week and i don't think there's any escaping um the sanofi share price drop i think we've been asked a couple of questions by hugo and also adela um what is going on with their share price why have they dropped what what is actually happening with this company i think everybody's a little bit spooked at the moment well you know really simple let's start talking about the first thing and there is something really interesting with um, um uh, sanofi of course their partnership with regeneron so um th that has been of course lifting up the sales from uh, sanofi but then if you now look at the third quarter 2023 compared to the quarter last year their sales declined by half a billion yeah so while their ifrs earnings went up uh, to two euro per share which is a good thing um yeah it's a bit interesting of course that they had a small uh, earnings drop 
But I think the big news here is uh, simply said that generally the, the how you say it, the pundits, they think that Sanofi doesn't have the ability to uh, generate a proper return on investment on their R&D. They have not proven this in the past. And it's true. Sanofi was simply dead money until they uh, won the jackpot for Regeneron. There was not a lot of innovation coming out of Sanofi. It was just an, 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 an awesome deal they were able to make, right? So if they then now want to spend more on their pipeline because they find themselves that their pipeline is too weak, yeah, I mean, that's the issue, right? Because so far, there's no evidence that they have the best scientists in the world that, that can turn an ID into an actual product here. Yeah, I mean, that that's essentially what they're saying, isn't it? That Sanofi have... A pretty poor pipeline coming through there's the overall industry is looking at a 200 billion worth of patents expiring over the next couple of years and there's lots of panic now who's gonna who's going to come up with the next blockbuster drug and you're looking at sanofi's r&d department and you you have to think compared to their peers, they have been underperforming over the last ten years. I think their average return was six percent compared to the average of ten percent. And obviously, with averages, there's companies that were probably doing double that or, or or more than that as well. So it doesn't look too good for Sanofi, particularly when you're going chasing for the next blockbuster drug. Um, having to chase it like that when you're under pressure is is quite difficult, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, I, I I, have been looking at Sanofi over the last four years so often. It was really just that money all the time until this Regeneron. So I, I totally understand the market nar narrative. Actually, I found that Sanofi went way too far up. Also, you know, even if you look at Sanofi, their dividends, right, over the last years, they were not growing a lot, like 2-3% until then they suddenly they um, had this cash flow windfall yeah that's really what 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 changed for them but until until then it was like flat money so and we saw that in the dividends as well so only last year it uh, made a decent uh, decent hike yeah and we need we want to show we want to see more simple yeah. as that it, it it looks like they're also spinning off their consumer health segment yes. as well yeah um which which probably makes sense for them, I, I think that generates, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and this is interesting, right? Because GSK did it. Yeah. Johnson & Johnson did it. It's really something uh, from the last, uh, last two, three years that all these conglomerates are spinning off their consumer business. And I, I really sometimes wonder why, because I, I think they're just desperate to create shareholder value. But from the other side, it's not too bad to have a bit of a cushion um, for for bad times with the consumer health division. Yeah, yeah, but maybe management just want to focus on what they're good at. Maybe consumer health is just not where their expertise is. Will management then go with consumer health because seemingly they're also not too good at uh, creating a proper <laughs> pipeline? <laughs> maybe, maybe the scientists might go to consumer health. So. <laughs> yeah, they spin it off and uh, they spin themselves with it off and yeah. then... Uh, but it, it it's always interesting when I read companies when they say stuff like um, they expect next year to have low single-digit growth rates compared to this year and will rebound in 2025. What that says to me really is 
there's no rush in investing in these guys. We're going to have four more quarters of poor performance, which is going to drive their share yeah. price lower, or at least not higher anyway. So there's plenty yeah. of time to to sit back and and assess these guys. But it's um, but, but yeah. last year you could could you last September you could still get the shares in the in the mid 70s somewhere, right? Uh, 70, 80. Yes. Yeah. So what we're talking about now, I mean, I'm not saying that it will go back there, but for you know, for me, let's be honest. For me, if I knew before that Sanofi would make this big deal with uh, Regeneron, I would have bought it. But of course, nobody knows because these things are announced and then you're always too late. But for the Simone Sanofi excluding Regeneron, I don't want to own the stock. There are much better pharma companies out there. It is, it's as simple as that. So I don't care that it dropped with 15%. I'm not going to look in it uh, anyway. Yeah, um, I rather spent my time now on studying a little bit more onto Bristol Myers, which is now around fifty dollars, yeah. which uh, I remember from the past. I find a relatively interesting stock. If people are generally interested in, um, I said, in owning a pharma stock, go to my video from February this year or something like that on YouTube. I will try to put the link in the description here because I compared the top ten big pharma companies of the world i showed there also how much of their revenue how much percentage of their revenue is depending on the top three sales and this is always a nice uh, uh view of looking at things because if the top three is the majority of the revenue you know you have a lot of uh, single patent risk right but if it's like 20 30 percent of the entire revenue you know you're talking about a well-diversified big pharma company and I think these things are really important to take into consideration. I would then, if you're interested in that, have a look at that. There's a G-sheet with it where you see all the pharma stocks. It is from February this year, but those companies don't change within one year significantly. So I think the the general outcome is still relevant for uh, if you want to form an opinion. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, isn't it? It'll be interesting to see what, what happens to the dividend if they, they continue under pressure and what will happen with the with the spin-off as well. I'm sure we'll we'll find out soon. But yeah, I'm not in a rush for Sanofi. Um there's definitely definitely better options out there in in my opinion. So the main topic we have quite some earnings to get through, uh, maybe four or five. So we might just dive straight in there. And one of the companies was suggested um by two people on Twitter or Facebook, um, Hands and Free Nantial, Um, and that is T Row Price, ticker symbol T R O W. Um, I don't think anyone will be surprised if you look at their share price. They've been under pressure pretty much all year long. And nothing nothing has changed. It's pretty much the same as last quarter. Um, the revenues are under pressure. They're Management fees are under pressure because they have to exit some of the higher fee kind of you know, like your shares. They have to move into ETFs, which charge lower fees. Um, so that's all contributing into them actually performing worse year over year. What is also interesting is that their AUM is falling. Um, and again, that's because they're having net outflows of around 17 billion instead of net inflows. So there's money leaving leaving them consistently this year. So it's 17 billion this quarter, and over the nine months, it's it's up around 20, uh, double that, I think. Um, so look, it's it's been a it's been a tough tough quarter. The CEO comments on that himself. He's he's basically said in a nutshell, look, we're doing our best here. We're trying to 
save costs wherever wherever we can. We're moving into lower fee structures, um, but it is it is a tough quarter, and they continue to see that for the remainder of the year as well. So I think I think we're going to see another another quarter of this as well. I have to say, um, their AUM dropped from one point six in twenty twenty one to which is now one point three. Um, so they're hovering at around twenty nineteen levels in terms of AUM. So this sounds quite scary if, if i hear you talking but let's put it in perspective yes 2021 was the year that everyone was betting on katie woods crypto to the moon wall street bets the top this the stock market had uh, so much cash coming in because also of all these thousand dollar checks that uh, the american government was giving so that that is a year that was really special it, it dropped then in 2022. And we know that in 2022, late last year, there was also quite a stock market decline. And we are experiencing a similar period right now, similar emotions. Um, but compared to that, the assets under management uh, are actually a little bit higher than it, than it was at the end of 2022. So that's important to know, I think. If we look at the, um, I said, if we look then at the, generally at the earnings, they now have a deleted earnings per share of 197 compared to the same quarter last year of 166. That's also better. I believe that the dividend is 148 or something like that. I believe I yes. believe something like that. I'm doing this out of my head. I'm not watching it any screen, so <laughs> I might be wrong here. Yeah. Yeah. Or 112 or one. But what I'm trying to say is like, I know that this dividend is nicely covered. Also, they have a pristine balance sheet, no debt. So, you know, if this is the stock market decline that we are experiencing with the cash outflows because of high inflation, people are probably going more into bonds. If this is it, this company is totally prepared for this. Yeah. So I I you know there's a question later on, like which which question are you which stock are you a bit worried about in your portfolio? I don't like, of course, to see uh, T-Row price now trading at 19 because it feels like a paper loss. But to be fair, this week, the day before earnings or two days before earnings, I was not paying attention to when they were paying earnings. I bought five, six shares or seven shares again because I felt like, okay, it's a really relatively big position. But why? I don't want to watch in the mirror in a year from now and think like, how stupid that I didn't make the opportunity sub-100 to buy a few more shares that was my thinking so while i'm not going back into it because i have my rules i mean I, I really wanted to use this opportunity so from one side yes it all sounds scary here but if you purely look at the facts and if you know that this company has set itself up with their balance sheet to protect themselves against these times and it is also a dividend aristocrat with a very safe dividend profile then yeah, I just want to give a little bit of a, a sounding voice as well because it's so easy to fall into this trap of the stock market. Every day it's red. Yeah, yeah no, I, I agree with you. Like if you if you look at let's just take assets under management because we, yeah. we use that as the as the growth value, yeah. and they are being judged now at the moment because it's bad news in the market. They're moving all their investments from high management fees assets into low management fees assets and that's that's impacting their cash flows it's impacting their revenue it's impacting the bottom line but if you look if you actually look at at their aom growth and i have a chart there that you can see in front of you 
you can see that they had really strong growth in 2019, 2020, 2021. So they're being judged off a, off a really high base. But if you were to normalize those to the growth rates that you see from 2008 to 2016 and apply that from 2016 to 2023, that growth rate is actually quite steady and, and decent. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so even, even with the decline at the moment. So I'm not one bit worried over these. I'm actually glad there's a little bit of bearish sentiment in these because it drives that share price down. And look, we were saying T row price under 100 is is a good deal. It still is a good deal. They're, they're yielding at the moment 5.52%. Um, how low can they go? I don't know. But like you said, the they can go to zero in they, the end. Yeah, they, they can. <laughs> they, they can all go to zero. But but realistically, yeah. but the balance sheet, I think, is what set these guys apart. And I think management yeah. have shown that. They're well capable of, of navigating this this type of of market. So let look, let's see. I think probably the next next two, three, even four quarters, we might see more of the same. Um yeah. and we'll see, but I, I'm not worried about it. There's bear sentiment. They've had a couple of hard quarters, but they're coming, in my opinion, from a high base. Um, yeah, and, and this is a company that also doesn't need to cut the dividends. The only no. re because the dividend is safe. The only reason why I would see them uh, considering this if they would say like, guys, we throw our whole business model overboard, and uh, we we start something totally new with low cost Vanguard kind of style ETFs only. Yeah, then it becomes a, a different point. But that would be stupid. That would be so stupid, and I don't see them doing that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the interesting thing now about in, in the stock market, right? Who has the balls to uh, buy these kinds of things if you look at the stock price? If you don't look at the stock price and forget about it, uh, if you only look at the stock price of today and do your uh, analysis, then probably it looks much more uh, positive. I, I, I think I think what what you just demonstrated pretty much is that you have to zoom out. <laughs> in a zoomed-in perspective, it looks pretty bad, but when you zoom yeah. out... It actually looks looks quite okay, and and like you said, everybody loves quoting, "Buy when there's blood on the streets." Everybody, but who yeah. who has the cojones to do it? That's that's the question. Yeah, or when you liked it at hundred thirty, you must love it at ninety. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here we are. Well, I can tell you, uh, sometimes uh, laugh uh, disappoints. It sounds nice uh, when you have like some butterflies in your tummy. But later on, you know what it really uh, means if you're fifteen years married, <laughs> two kids there. <laughs> so yeah look let's let's sum it up i think bad quarter similar to similar to the rest of the year but overall i think the company is still in in good shape so definitely well then the second one that uh, also hans asked about that right one of the one of our followers is about texas instruments and this is also again a really interesting stock to talk about so if you look at their um how is it the revenue declined with 14%. We all know what the chip industry is currently uh, facing, right? The headwinds, the industries generally, like, look, I think we all know this. We work also in companies. We know yes. that most of the companies all have cost-cutting exercises and programs, yeah? Um, that's happening now to fight inflation. So if you're then a company like Texas Instruments, who is like early on in the value chain, uh, for 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 other other companies and it's consumer led to some extent as well, then it's no surprise that revenue is going down. So fourteen percent and the earnings per share was one eighty five this quarter compared to two forty seven last quarter. Now from earnings per share we are all good here, right? Uh, also nicely um, uh, covering the dividend, 
But then you look at cash generation and then you see the cash flow from operations, six and a half billion compared to nine billion last year. There's 28% decline. A capital expenditure of almost five billion, which gives us the free cash flow of 1.6 billion. On the other end, the dividends, and here it comes, that they paid in Q uh, third quarter were 4.5 billion. So they lost 3 billion uh, that they had to borrow money to fund the dividend this time. And they also bought back shares for 1 billion. So that's a 4 billion already. So yeah, they have been uh, leveraging up a little bit. Um, at the same time, what you see in the balance sheet, of course, the capital expenditures were, went straight to the asset side of the balance sheet because it, it ends up in the planned and uh, uh, property and equipment uh, side. Um, but I would say the, the balance sheet gets a little bit weaker, but let's not be mistaken. They have a very strong balance sheet uh, as well. Now, what is interesting, right? Some people are surprised about this, that the dividends are not covered. But we have spoken about this before, about Texas Instruments, when we did our breakdown episode about them. So we can also link that episode um, uh, in the description of this podcast. Because we know that in the next three years, they're spending about $3.5 billion annually on investments. And, of course, the CHIPS Act is now there in, in America. So they get some really attractive deals here when it comes to building uh, future manufacturing because, effectively, America wants to bring back their manufacturer onshore. Yeah. So this should not come as a surprise. What was a little bit of a surprise to me is that, that they said like $3.5 billion on average per year, and we are talking here about $4.5 billion. Well, $1 billion miss on an estimate of capex is a lot yeah and and they can tell me they're bringing it before what but we have we heard this story also in intel yeah the, the the good thing here is like if you compare intel with texas instruments first of all intel is mainly losing revenue not because of an industry industry weakness but because of their competitors eating their lunch yeah that that's the the biggest reason uh second one um if you think about Texas Instruments um, as such, let's say. I mean, they have the balance sheet place here, the balance sheet. So I don't see them cutting the dividend at all. And also for that reason, um, yeah, I bought some more Texas Instruments uh, when it dropped at 240 because I know what the story is. In my opinion, Texas Instruments has probably, the after Satya Nadella, probably the best management um, uh, of all my portfolio holdings they've been they're so clear in their communication their reports are really easy to read they talk about they know they, they follow my philosophy or it's just a match let's say that free cash flow is uh, uh, king so and everything that they are doing uh, saying they are doing share price went down because i think if you look at wall street they, they just look at the an, an, an earnings expectation if it's a bit lower they they punish any stock yeah so so here it's again like are there long-term opportunities now to make a very long story short i think you don't need to be in a hurry with investing in texas instruments they are still investing a lot over the at least in 2024 and 2025 and and then some of the plans will come online um just 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 expect this that there will be still some dips and you don't need to hurry that's my my expectation yeah i i think i have to agree with you i, I, I circle back to 
the discussion we had on ASML maybe the week before last, two weeks ago. And yeah. if we remember what they reported, that they are reaching the bottom of the cycle and they expect that to take around 12 months or so. Um, and then we might start seeing that. And, and I was also interested to hear then how the likes of Texas Instruments would do our Intel. Um, I missed Intel's earnings, but I'm just in, in curious to see what, what they're reporting. Are they going against what ASML are saying or are they going along with that narrative and it seems like texas instruments are going along with the with the same narrative um i have to say i'm not entirely enthused that they are supporting their dividends through through debt um it's it's not something that that i particularly like Me neither. As, as, as you said this is a bet on management pure and simple do you trust management know what they're doing here and and, and taking sharp term pain um, I believe so too. Um, as you said, they are very clear in their communication, um, and I don't see that changing. And if if it does, then then we could be in big trouble. So, I think probably this year or next year you might see the same trend happening, and it will create, in my opinion, better price point for Texas Instruments. And we've been this is what we've been asking for. We, we you need to get these types of companies that at below fair value prices you need some short term pain you need something yes. to to trigger that and and this could could be that trigger but like you said this is the type of company or this type of scenario is something you really have to have done your own homework on you need to have conviction in this because if we're wrong and, and we could be you could be in a whole world of pain here particularly they could they could easily cut that dividend in half if they can't can't yeah. afford it so you, you really need to have conviction in times like this for companies like this um, but like you I don't think there's like Sanofi as well I don't think there's any rush in in the minute even if they get a good quarter next quarter I don't think their share price is going to rocket up based on what we've seen over the last two quarters yeah. um, but but all in all look it's it's such an easy report and as I said I trust management at this point I've no reason not to trust them but I'm not naive or stupid either so it's something that i need to keep one eye firmly firmly on and, and see how they go but yeah nice good. One. good good um so we had another suggestion um by hands again he's uh, he's this is the tour company um and that is lyb um ticker symbol lyb that is and that's the chemical company um it's a company that i don't really pay too much attention to because i know they had troubles in the past with the dividend and even went bankrupt um and i find it hard even though since then they've performed stellar and you spoke about it and we spoke about it as well on the show uh, but just to give you some of the headlines um their net income was 0.7 billion which was 2.29 per diluted share and um, this is actually a 30 percent increase from a year ago when it was at 175 um they have seemed to decline across most revenue most areas in terms of revenues they've talked about softening demand which is going to continue through to next year there's also some higher prices as well um so the margins are coming under a little bit of pressure and um, they returned 448 million to shareholders through dividends and share repurchases um, and they've got about 1.7 billion cash um on hand as well so it it looks to me like they are look they, they did okay this quarter but it looks like they're setting yourself up for next year saying demand is weakening we're going to come into a period because it is a cyclical is a cyclical business um and it looks like they're going to start coming under a bit of pressure over the next year or two yeah 
very very interesting i do, i just don't know enough about this company to say anything uh relevant yeah it's 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 hard it's a, i think it's a hard industry to to analyze there's so much at stake in in these chemicals you know macroeconomics can pay a, a yeah. huge thing and then also if your raw materials the prices of those fluctuate as well so there's, there's a lot to consider with a, with a company like yeah. that um i i took them off my i remember i was researching them and, and once i saw they went bankrupt before and the dividend cut it's kind yeah. of hard to trust management them and and we're coming into times now where it's getting quite difficult and now we'll see what management are made of. Can they sustain through through a bad yeah. cycle? Um, and that's what we can judge these okay. guys off. But yeah. Well, then the next company I would like to talk about, we need to talk really some some iconic European company now, and this is Unilever. Yes, we still talk about Unilever from time to time. It has been quiet at the podcast, but hey, listen up. Simply said, they made 15.2 billion in sales in the last quarter. Um, you know, generally, let's say organic growth was 5.2%, but they had an 8% overall impact from currency headwinds. So that's why, actually, if you compare it with 2022 for this quarter, they had a almost 4% decline. Um, their best growth was in the personal care, um, 3.6 billion in, in in sales. Generally, over the whole year, this comp, uh, this this business unit has been growing the best, with almost about 10% year to date. So, all in all, I would say, you know, the currency impact is really hurting the company, which is a pity. Also, the ice cream business didn't do so well compared to um, um, last year. A bit of a mixed bag the company also got punished for it and you know this is very interesting because you know i'm a dutch person right and dutch persons people are known for their directness so it's so funny to read this in, a, in on the first page on a quarterly report um uh, what what they are saying here what what the ceo is saying here heinz schumacher despite these strengths our performance in recent years has not matched our potential the quality of our growth productivity and returns have all under delivered we should now really put all the alan yopi openings here uh, for, uh like we had an awesome quarter I, I i mean he didn't use the term awesome but all these like bullshit headlines that he was giving us and and tapping himself on the chest like look how good i am as a ceo and then he blew it almost up with the gsk uh, acquisition and, and really, if they would have done that, this company would be in dark red debt at the moment. So he almost killed the company, right? Um, so we also got a question here from Herman van Niekerk, and he asked us also about the new strategy that they are introducing. Now, what I like in general is this, this, this strategy is really easy. They want to focus on their first 30 power uh, brands. Effectively, they want to milk them out to the bone. They just want to milk it, milk it, milk it. Yeah. I think it's clever. To do that to i think focus is needed um i hope it also puts a little bit less emphasis on esg because we know unilever in this case right they are very very altruistic they and of course they should in my opinion stay a leader in esg because it's important but you know they should not forget about the fact that they are playing in the capitalistic market so I'm really happy with this, um, that they're doing this focus. 
the 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 guy the Heinz Schumacher seems determined to make something out of his uh, uh, era. I hope he gets it. I'm a bit I'm a bit on the sidelines. I mean, I have a large position in Unilever. Um, the dividend streak has ended um, uh, because that was a question of of them that they lose the dividend streak. Well, effectively, if you look at how we treat the European Noble Thirty, then not because. They had a flat dividend, but they have not been growing their dividend already last year compared to the year before. So we're still getting one one euro seventy one uh, per shares. But yeah, uh, look, um, you know what it is with this company at the moment. I see the good intention of the CEO. I like his uh, statements, but I wonder if this company is easy to turn around or, or to find a path of growth i think there's more to this and it might be also a little bit of culture that needs to um, change there yeah yeah look i i'm re i'm reading here the the priorities the three priorities they have and this new strategy that they have but is it a new strategy i i, I don't really know focus on the 30 power brands that they already have that generates a lot of their growth. So, what what is the focus? How are they going to milk even more out of that? Um, I, I don't really have a real sense of what this. It's easy to say faster growth, and it's easy to say focus on these, but but how are you doing that? They're going to scale innovation. Uh, I I don't know. It, it to me it just sounds like fluff. It's just words on a paper at the moment. Um, so I'm I'm not really too enthused about about that i do like the directness and i do like that the ceos come out and said look we've been pretty pretty poor over last year let's 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 not hide it we're not performing as well as we should be um but look everybody knew that that's why that's why he's in the job in the first place um so look let, let's see it's 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 still early days for him if you look at the numbers yes currency has hit them hard and we have to put our hands up we bashed nestle on this show was it last week or the week before and I got a comment, and rightly so, saying, "Have we thought about the impact of currency, which has a roughly around a twenty-five to thirty percent impact over the last eight or nine years, based on the strong um, Swiss Swiss dollar, Swiss franc?" Um, and I put my hands up and said, "No." Um, and we can see here, there's also a huge impact from currency. But if you take currency out of it, what I do like to see is actually the volume decline was relatively flat compared to what. They're increasing their prices. So you can see they're trying mm -hmm. to offset inflation. The premium brands, remember, and people are still buying their 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 stuff. So that, I think that's that's good to see. Um, but look, I will have a look. Um, I, I need to read a little bit more into what the CEO is offering, what he's saying. Um, there's only a little snippet of it here just to see how I feel about it. But I I want to keep a close eye on them over them over the next over the next quarter, two quarters, and see what they're actually delivering. What what is their plan? How are they focusing on those thirty brands, and how are they going to actually drive more growth and sales in in those brands? So let's let's see. Talk is cheap. Actions. We want to see actions. We want to see actions. We're we're desperate as investors in Unilever to see actions. Yes. Okay. Um, there was another request that came in from a company that I know nothing about. Um, it was suggested by David. Um, and this is a Swedish company called SAGAX. Um, S-A-G-A-X. Um, so I knew nothing about the company. So just to give you a bit of a background, um, it's an investment company. So like a real estate investment trust um, that specializes in commercial properties, uh, particularly warehouses and industrial property. 
Um, what I really like, if you go onto their investor relations, go to our About Us, everything is really clear, straightforward. They give you About Us, our investment strategy, what we're looking for, what we're doing. Um, and it is, it's almost Texas Instrument-like. It's very clear. Um, they give you their strategy, their goals, the whole way through. Um, and I really like that. The core principles um, involve around long-term perspective, and they stay away from what they say, anything considered high risk. Um, they've got 811 properties across Sweden, Finland, France, Netherlands, Spain, Germany, and Denmark. So they're pretty much spread all throughout Europe. They're listed as a large cap on the NASDAQ, um, on the Stockholm Stock Exchange. So honestly, when I was reading that, I was, I was quite impressed. The numbers this quarter also looked quite quite strong. Um, the revenue increased 19%. Um, the rent, the profit, or the profit from profit, uh, the profit from property management increased twelve percent. Um, their profit after tax was six hundred thirty-four million. Their cash flow operating act activities before changes rose about forty percent. Um, and they have a B double A to outlook and um, credit rating with Moody's. Um, so it looked look quite popular. Now I'm not basing that off any other year because I haven't looked into them, but it, it does look quite strong based on on this quarter um what i did like was the average lease term seems to be 11.7 years and they have unilateral right to extend these lease with almost all their tenants up to about 30 years and the occupancy rate currently stands at 96 percent um which is which is quite good i think sweden is the hardest hit and we know how hard that demographic has been hit at the moment so i'm not too not too worried about that um I was looking at their financial policy, so they have a debt. The policy is to have no more than a debt ratio of 50%. They're consistently under 50% over the last 10 years. They want an interest coverage rate exceeding three. They're currently sitting at about 6.4. And the balance sheet looks quite good. They do have some lease terms, I'd say about a quarter of the lease terms expiring over the next 18 months. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But but look, overall, it looks like a, a decent company. Maybe one worked doing a little bit of a deep dive in getting to know the company. Um, but like I said, I did like how they presented everything. Everything was clear. Their, their actual report was was really good. It was actually long. I, I didn't have enough time to, to congest it all. But as a first glance and a, a first run through the company, it looks looks like a decent a decent company. And then is my understanding cor correct that it has a 1.4% dividend yield? Yeah, I actually didn't look at the dividend yield. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't look at that. It, it could possibly be. Now, what, what, what confused me when I was reading through, they seem to have class A, B, C, and D shares, and the dividend structure seemed yeah, different for, 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 for each of them. And I didn't quite grasp that. I, I did try look at the the way that was but it, i didn't have enough time um so that that did confuse me it, it needs yeah. a little bit more i would say um research for me to understand that but okay. it'd be it'd be strange for a, a read to be that that low i would imagine yeah i think they only want to pay for it out of their um earnings or something like that so they have a very a relatively low dividend policy and therefore it's is it really a REIT or is it just a real estate company yeah it's not a, it's not a REIT it's not a REIT yeah real estate okay company. Yeah. good yeah. But, yeah, so but, that explains but when I was looking at the so they give like their strategy they give all that there was no mention of dividend in 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 any of that so I don't know how yeah. committed or it maybe it's not a priority for them but they seem yeah. 
very clear on everything else. So when a company doesn't say that, it probably tells you more about yeah. where their priorities lie. But uh, but still, but still, it looks like a, an interesting an interesting company to all the same. Yeah. Hey, then the last company that we discuss here as part of the earnings is Asa Abloy, another uh, Swedish one, the the world's biggest locksmith, right? Uh, and they have nice products that we can try for lock picking as well. Hey, look, their sales increased by 16%, my friend, 16%. However, there's a catch to it because the organic growth was only 1%. So flat, flat growth, not bad for what, what we're, and when we are seeing an earnings recession at the moment, right, With uh, due to inflation here. But of course, they have been doing big acquisitions. And it's anyway a company that's continually acquiring, um, I said, uh, stocks, so... That that explains the delta. Generally speaking, I like this company a lot. Yeah, and I really would love to earn some. Uh, uh, sorry, own some of this. Um, but hey, they had the earnings per share of three point thirty one. Uh, it's an iconic European dividend aristocrat. So, and I, I really want to keep this short, but I just want to highlight it that. Um, kind of in love with this company if we talk about management what i really like is if you go to the earnings release they really they don't beat around the bush yeah they just say straight away like guys this is uh, organic this is due to acquisition we know that debt went quite up because of the acquisition debt is still healthy for this company um, but this is also a nice thing about this company right it can buy small companies and then use their worldwide distribution network the skill to 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 really boost earnings uh, here over time. So, yeah. Do, do you know what? This is the type of company that, in my opinion, deserves for you to write a little deep dive about them. I think that I think they're a perfect candidate for. Well, maybe I should then for the next newsletter. I think I I honestly think you should. I, I it's 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 one of those companies that you always talk about. You can tell your your affinity to them. Somebody actually wrote to us and said i think they've invested in this company based on everything we've said about them before so i think it i think it does in my opinion okay let's let's consider that done then i'll write about them in the next newsletter nice okay so that concludes the earnings we honestly we could have done we could have done a lot more but we have so many questions um i think we just kind of tried to cap it at, at what we had and, and look as you say keep the suggestions coming we would definitely prioritize those over anything else um so thanks to everyone who suggested companies today um but now let's roll on to these questions and we'll see how many we can actually get through um and the first one is from frank and frank is a scouser um, which he hopefully hopefully thinks it will earn him some cred with me um and that just depends are you a red or a blue um i'm going to assume <laughs> you're a red and yes i absolutely love scousers it's like my home away from home um but look, what frank, is it a scouser uh anyone from liverpool so if you're from liverpool um you're yeah. known as a, as a scouser as a okay i see um i won't do him any injustice by trying to do the accent um but yeah if you're from liverpool you're, you're basically a scouser um so frank has asked us he's curious as to our thoughts on lockheed martin um and their recent numbers he's considering buying a couple of shares it's a total sin stock but they had an eight percent jump recently considering the situation that's going on at the moment um is it a bit pricey or should he wait to buy them 
So look, I think I think Lockheed, as you said, it is a it is a sin stock. Not everybody likes to invest in them, but they are involved heavily with the US government, I believe. They have lots of contracts there. So you can kind of predict a lot of their cash flows and then particularly then when there's a little bit of conflict, which you're starting to see regrettably more and more over the last couple of years, they do get a little bit of a jump in their price. And and to be fair to them, when they do, they, they, they seem to reward shareholders. I don't know too much about their numbers. I haven't looked into them. I do remember that they dropped below 300 or 250 at one point and I bought them and I sold them then when they when they went back up um but look i don't think there's an issue with investing that type of company you just gotta know what, what you're what you're investing in but in terms of dividend history it's it's quite good they have a good it's still a decent yield um they seem committed to that dividend as well and, and like i said any troubles that they, they will seem to benefit so they're probably a long-term hold as well um so that's my quick two cents on it um alexandros has asked us what is your earnings surprise of the week well it has to be intel right usually it uh, goes 10 percent down lately over the last few years but now it went uh, probably 10 percent up but honestly i was surprised about this i felt like when you when you read the news all the time and you, you see these things around texas instruments and and all these companies you hear asml talking then you think like well they, they should I, I worry about intel and Actually, so their third quarter revenue was 14.2 billion, down 8% year over year, but everyone was expecting more. So this was good. So they actually beated their own or exceeded their own high end of the guidance. Um, and effectively, what they've been doing is they've been, uh, yeah, and we know that they've been, um, I say, just cost cutting, cost cutting, turning around every penny. Um, also, we know from the last time the accounting uh, last quarter what they did, shuffling a bit with this with the amortization rates and such. But generally speaking, um, good numbers. I would have expected. I expected less this quarter, and and the company is also in a really difficult situation at the moment because they're he heavily investing, uh, but they're at the same time losing market share. Right, their new products are coming online and, and, and such slowly, but although they get good reviews when I read it, I don't see it necessarily back in the sales uh, as that it saves the company or that the turnaround is already starting in the revenue. So we still have a, a while to go here with Intel. The turnaround story, right? Not the dividend growth stock. Is um, Pat still laser focused? I, I can see I can see the key word of artificial intelligence popping up on there. Oh, maybe that's why it's up. But look, um, I follow Pat Gelsinger on Twitter, and every weekend he's praying to the Lord and 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 quoting Bible verses. And um, I hope he will also pray for good earnings uh, and and maybe uh, good technology and maybe talent that will come working there. And yeah, I, I, would you work for a company where your CEO is all the time quoting Bible verses? I mean, I, I wouldn't make it my decision, but. I, I I prefer my CEO to stay away from that kind of stuff on uh, Twitter. Yeah, it's not it, it's not a good look. Honestly, it wouldn't stop me from working in the company if yeah if my direct boss and my direct involvement didn't didn't have anything to do with that. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, but honestly, I'd be thinking my CEO is a wacko, so I'd be I'd be yeah. quite I'd be quite <laughs> on edge. I, I I prefer to um 
I prefer to stay away from that. But but then I won't say who the CEO of my company is, but if you follow him on, on social media, he lives a different kind of life. He's definitely not, he's definitely not um, I would just say praying to God. Uh, probably more of a party lifestyle, I would say, which is also <laughs> which is also not great. <laughs> nice um, but I leave, I leave it there. Um, Josh has asked us, what should a new dividend investor know about tobacco stocks in general? Well, Josh, first of all, they produce unhealthy products. And, and you might think like, duh, why are you answering that? Uh, of course. But what is important here is that um, there is a lot of attention to ESG, which stands for environment, social, and as a governance, something like that, um, yeah. which effectively means that large pension funds and such don't want to have tobacco stocks. So if you think, for instance, about um, British American tobacco trading at a below 10 price to earnings, you might think like, hey, this is cheap. You might think like because the average stock market is historically trading at a 15 PE. Well, don't hold your breath for it ever to get there in the upcoming two, three years. This, As long as we have this whole ESG movement and and tobacco is considered bad, there will be a small group of investors that is interested in these kinds of stocks. So I think this is, in my opinion, the most important uh, to know because many people sometimes make the mistakes by using the same valuation multiples as for Johnson Johnson on the tobacco stock and uh, in their expectations. And that doesn't make sense. Generally speaking, maybe besides it, many of those companies are trying to go into vaping or at least trying to make more profit out of it. We have seen from the latest results from British American Tobacco that they are really growing hard there, but it's still not uh, entirely profitable. So in the end, the, the traditional tobacco stick is still the best, most profitable uh, uh, product of such a company. It's in general decline, but the price hikes uh, allow them to mitigate that. And that, that's effectively what is happening with tobacco stocks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, the issue is that, like you said, the multiples are, are falling hard, their share price is falling hard, you're getting juicy dividend yields because of that. But... Is it a falling knife? Are you going to catch a falling knife? Because that because they just keep dropping and dropping and dropping, and and you touched on it. Companies are trying to move into new categories, new areas, and ultimately the winners will be whoever can capitalize on those markets and grow those the fastest. Um, they're still quite young, um. So let's see. But but at the moment there's still plenty of people who smoke. You got emerging markets. There's there's always going to be people who like to indulge in unhealthy habits um so i don't think they'll go out of business anytime anytime soon but like you said if you're looking for total returns tobacco stocks might not give you the yeah. best total returns and what's so funny is right some of those employees they truly think they work in the it industry because it's they call it inhalation technology stocks <laughs> I think they 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 want to call it like that. That Katie Wood Wood would put it in their ARK investment uh, <laughs> product or something like that, and hope that it goes to the moon. Uh, well, looking at the share price, she probably did because anything she's touched has gone to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's vaped away. It went vaped, up in smoke. It's vaped away. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah. So look, Josh. I hope. I hope. That helps a little bit. Um, it's it's not that complex of a market, I must say. There's plenty of research out there. Um, so just do a little bit of reading. Uh, decline in market, um, really unhealthy for you, pays 
lots of good dividends due to cash flow. Um, I think that's all, all you need to know. Yeah, I, w- I would say like own them, don't smoke it. Yeah. Yes, oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, Marcin has asked us, would you consider investing in stocks from countries from Central Eastern Europe, like Poland, if they have been paying dividends only for a few years, but have good future prospects and are attractively priced? Well, I, I own Ambra from Poland. Um, generally speaking, I'm not so interested in companies from Central and Eastern Europe, uh, simply for the fact that I want to invest in global players. I don't want to have a single country risk too much. I have a few in my portfolio. But those are more exceptions than the rule. Um, I'm not so much into the tropical uh, kind of investments. Let's Let's call it like that. And for me, um for instance investing in stocks in poland you really need to understand the market it's and it's not the same as in netherlands or the global markets it's different yeah. i'm not saying it's be- better or worse i'm sure there are really good companies uh, in between there but for instance i was talking with a very with a colleague the other day about dino dino is a very popular supermarket chain and i live here in poland and honestly I wouldn't know where they are, but then I know they are probably more in the villages outside of the city. I live in the city or near the city, so they are not around here. Um, so it, it, it is just hard to, uh, to familiarize with those companies sometimes. Um, but Ambra, hey, I like their products. It's uh, it's uh, they, they sell liquor and wines and, and yeah. spirits and such. So yeah, the, the the key for me in that sentence is if they have been paying dividends only for a few years, it doesn't mention growing dividends. And I think I think we spoke before. We have a distinct strategy where we rely on growing dividends and, and not just just paying dividends. Um, so it it would be it would depend. And like you said, I'm even further away from Central and Eastern Europe. I couldn't be any further in terms of where I live. Um, so it's hard for me to to grasp. Okay, but let's culture. do it. Uh, do this. Let's do this uh, mind game. Imagine a consumer staple in Poland, mostly produces or sells products in, for the Polish market. Maybe a little bit in Czechia. Let's say yeah. uh, a one billion market cap, fifteen years of dividend growth, six uh, seven percent on average. Would you be interested in such thing? I'd have no issue in, in investing in a company like that, but I, I don't know any any companies like no, that. No, me and neither. I, but, yeah. but 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 actually, Marison looks like. Marcin. Uh, Marcin um, looks like someone who obviously is knowledgeable about that area. And we have lots of listeners from Central yeah. and Eastern Europe. And maybe if he's interested, he could come on and talk to us about these types oh, of companies, yeah. their demographics, what they mean. No, maybe a little bit of a discussion on that. So um, if you're up for it, um, just contact us. I'd, I'd love to actually discuss that because it's, it's an area that we yeah. talk about a lot. Um, yeah. But we know from the questions, we've got a lot of people from that area. So I think it will be a quite an interesting topic. So reach out to us if, if you're up for it and we can, we can definitely arrange that. Yeah. Um, Marek has asked us, did I pronounce that one right? Um, what's your daily dividend? Um, so he mean all your dividends from the year divided by 365. Um, we know you don't disclose your figures, so you're not going to get that answer. Mine is roughly around... 11 just over 11 euro a day it's crazy actually 11 euro a day i can buy two cups of coffee a day on my dividends and what do you pay for lunch um for lunch well i could buy i could definitely buy lunch every day as well 
Nice, nice, nice. So if your oh. lunch paid forever. Uh, my lunch, yeah, my lunch paid for. So Come. you will not die from hunger. I, I can get lunch and coffee every single day. So that's yeah. nice. So, so you, 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 you're meeting almost the bottom of the Pas uh, Maslow pyramid, right? Which is about uh, food and sex. So if the sex is also served at home, then <laughs> you, you have your primary needs uh, covered in life. And that means you live a rich life already. <laughs> all for just 11 euro a day <laughs> oh boys people should see you how much you are turning a red face now <laughs> I, i was not expecting that i have to say <laughs> especially when you mentioned maslow's theory um let's move on to Lynx's question um it's quite a long question but basically he's saying that the boomer generation is coming up to retirement and this might have a significant impact on investments particularly through pension funds and lead to substantial stock market devaluations due to mass selling um could the retirement timing differences between boomers gradually sell shares and their peers cause problems for both individuals and pension funds or on the flip side will it create some opportunities where you can buy oh i find this so hard to predict i think he is onto something um with this But you know, I, I bought Omega Healthcare investors at the time because I was expecting all those boomers to start dying as well and, and, and needing their services for the last uh, week uh, of their lives. But you know, it hasn't played out as I was thinking. I think a lot of these hypotheses around the boomer generation are not well playing out still so far. You hear this often around certain companies, certain industries. So, yeah, I think there's a possibility here. Yes, of course, when those people die, their 401ks or whatever they have, they will probably be sold because probably their kids will want to have the cash and buy something for it. Um, so the question is, like, how does the transfer of wealth go? Uh, I, we know that the government is in between there when it comes to inheritance uh, tax in many countries. So I expect mainly the governments to be the biggest beneficiary of it. And yeah, it will mean uh, selling. But I always had the feeling that the stock market is propped because of low interest rates and because of index fund investing um, due to you know lots of uh, money saved by by consumers. So um, it's an interesting theory, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So it's such it's such a difficult question to answer, but. In theory, what he says makes a, a lot of sense. You, you, you would think that if boomers are taking out their pension funds in in masses, it's going to have some sort of effect. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It's it's it's. So there's a, an awesome uh, dividend stock, but I forgot the name. I, I can look it up. But they um, effectively, their business is about uh, selling tombstones and everything for graveyards. And in America, and and that could be a really interesting one. If you expect the boomer generation to die in America, well, at least the kids that will in, inherit uh, those portfolios will be able to buy a, a place at the graveyard and give the give them a nice stone. Uh, I can look up the uh, the the company, and if I if I find it, then I'll put the ticker also in the description of this uh, uh, video. But that might also be a nice one, right? If you expect a lot of death, yeah. 
Yeah, it depends what you mean by nice, but um, I get. I, <laughs> yeah, sorry for that. <laughs> I know I, what you mean. I get, I get, I get, I get what you mean. Yeah, if if you're worried about that, it, it makes sense in investing in in those type of companies. I'm trying to Google a company quickly. I can't can't find it too too easily. So yeah, I did once an article about uh, at the time of Halloween with three ultimate Halloween stocks on my blog, and I know I put ticker in there, the company in there because I discussed it there. Okay, awesome. Um. Adrian has asked us, you guys talk about tier one high quality stocks. What is the list of these? Um, he's asked us for names of five to 10 high conviction, high quality business that look fairly valued right now. Okay, so my tier one, and I will I will pick a few out that are in there. Uh, Texas Instruments, uh, Johnson & Johnson, Ahold Del Heze, L'Oreal, and realty income those are in my tier one i've got also microsoft there apple but i think they're a bit overvalued Municari as well pepsi as well so those are my tier one yeah lo looking at the fair fairly valued now is 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 quite tough um in terms of tier one stocks you're looking at companies like to me it's companies like asml apple l'oreal nike microsoft um even someone like he or she might get in there, um, and I hold that hazy. Um, ADP might scrape in there, but yeah, I, I don't know about fair value. I, I haven't looked at, at valuations, um, yeah. but I think they're all quite quite decent stocks to, to own. Um, PepsiCo is also in yours, I think, is it? Yeah. PepsiCo. Um, Dividend Gardner has asked us, are you, as a shareholder of Cebus, also interested in the London Stock Exchange listed company supermarket income REIT. It has an all right debt structure, high yield and low dividend growth policy. Um, yes, I'm interested, but on the other side, not. First of all, I'm not familiar with them. Um, and if I wouldn't own already a lot of these kinds of real estate companies, I might be interested. But look, I own realty income with such a profile, Cebus, as he says. Agree Realty with such a profile and De Fama, the German one. So it is becoming a little bit too much allocation towards supermarket chains. Although I do believe that this is an industry that will not go away anytime. But, you know, from a risk point of view, uh, maybe at a certain moment, everyone starts buying online and these and, and we need more distribution centers than, than this. I don't see that happening anytime soon. But I do want to avoid having too much allocation in my portfolio to single industry like that um, here. So that's why for now I'm not looking at other stocks anymore. But it sounds interesting and maybe so, uh, maybe one that we can one time look into for just in general for the listeners. Yeah, I've 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 heard a lot about this company. It's actually well regarded, particularly within the UK. Um, I'm invested in them indirectly. Um, I've spoke of investment trusts, and one of the companies I invest in is Murray International Trust, and they do have some exposure to that company. I've listened. I've listened to the portfolio manager of Murray International, and he speaks quite highly about supermarket income read and the opportunities and the growth that they have. Um, so it does honestly seem like it would be a good investment. But as I said, I I'm invested directly, and I don't need to go invest um, directly in them. Um, Paul has asked us, what, which of your stocks are you seeing a drop in and are getting worried about? 
Um, for me, I, I think I spoke about it last week. Is is Walgreens? I think I I just don't see good news. I don't see where the growth's coming from. It looks like the dividend will come under pressure. They just announced the dividend. I think today or yesterday. It's the sixth quarter in a row where it's been the same. Um, we know what that generally means. They're under pressure. Um, so I think a cut is is going to happen within the next year with these guys. So it's definitely one that I'm, I'm worried about. Um, they cut their dividend and their share price is probably, I wouldn't say half, but close to half from when, when I bought them. So it's 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 uh, not looking too too good. Yeah. So I mentioned T-Row before more from a price, but generally I'm not worried about them. But if there's one company where where I'm not so happy with in general is Fiatris at the moment, because management has been changing the business so much over the last year, one and a half year, that it feels like I'm not invested anymore in the same business as as when I stepped into it. So Fiatris is one of those companies in my mind that I feel like do I still want to own this company after selling biosimilars? It was one, but th then some of these other stuff that they are doing as well. So it's a company, but that's why it's a small position in my portfolio as well. So probably I will just let it go through its transformation. But it's not, I don't like it that they changed the company so much. And it was every time a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, the the, the biosimilars caught, caught out, I think, everybody off guard. That was the, the best performing part of their business. And we know they have a high level of debt that, in fairness, trying to to reduce at a rapid rate. But the dividend is not a priority. So now you have a company who's changed their business profile that doesn't prioritize the dividend. Do they fit in, yeah. in in our portfolio? The problem is they actually still seem too cheap. That's, yes. that's the problem. Yes, that's the issue. Yeah. Um, Alexandra has asked us Bristol Myers BMY good value territory right now yeah I spoke briefly about them I, I don't want to say I don't want to say positive yet because I haven't looked at the company for six seven months but if it is with the knowledge from six seven months ago I would have been probably buying now but you know how I am I always do my homework uh, specifically if I haven't looked at the company for half a year or more I want to know is it still the same company? Yeah. Um, we have a question from JC. He's asked us what we think about UPS and ADP, um, automatic data processing. So for UPS, I think it can still go much lower if we see a consumer recession. Also, they hiked the dividend at the time with 50%. I was not too happy with that. I thought they were a little bit uh, too much ahead of the curve with this. They couldn't could have just got a stick, stuck to the historical uh, dividend growth rate. But look, if I look at automatic data processing, that's really a nice company, right? So if I look at our dashboard quickly, I see a really nice dividend growth history, which is amazing. So that's already very, very uh, nice. And if I then look at their financials, look, they're making about 8.8 .8 in free cash flow per share now or 8.2 in, in, in earnings per share. Uh, their free cash flow uh, generally is is far above the um, I said uh, uh, over the last 12 months was far above the dividends they paid and the stock repurchases their um, generally if you look at everything their their share buybacks of the last um, eight years also that they reduced with what is it 15 17 percent yeah. So every every year buying like 1.2 to 1.5% back in, in shares plus the 
what is the two percent yield or something like that at 2. the moment? Two point two and two point three nearly. Yeah, I mean high quality business in my opinion. All the figures look look good, so um, I like that one a lot. And I will put it on the radar. This is typically the company that I could start nibbling in, maybe at two point five or two point seventy five, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Fun fact: it was one of the one of the first companies I had bought back. Not one of the, yeah, maybe third or fourth company I bought back in the, back in the day. And I, know the way you make that mistake where you sell companies because you think they're overvalued. Yeah, this this was one of these guys, and I think they nearly yeah. doubled doubled in price when since that since that time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really really strong really strong history. Forty eight years of no dividend cuts. Five year CAG of about twelve percent. As you said, payout ratios fifty to sixty percent. Um, strong cash flow, strong dividends. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot to like about this company. Um, definitely, definitely should be on everyone's watch list, in my opinion. Um, El Cuba has asked us our thoughts about GSK. Um, we get asked about GSK quite quite a bit, actually. It's quite a popular company out there, but they've never been on my radar because it's like Vodafone. Um, it's a strong name in, in Britain, but they've cut their dividends, so not reliable. Yeah. I, I I don't like the company. Simple like that. Yeah. Um, Marcia, no, how do you pronounce it? Say, say it right for me. Marcin. Marcin. Um, sorry, sorry, my Irish dialect. It's hard to um, pronounce names properly. But from a dividend perspective, what is better now, Hero Price or BlackRock? So I, I'm not so much interested in BlackRock. So I would always answer Hero Price. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's probably it's probably some bias there. I I don't know. I haven't looked into BlackRock in in quite quite a bit, but I think having a little bit of both is is probably not a, a bad idea. Um, BlackRock are similar to Tiro, I believe. I don't know what the balance sheet is like. As I said, I haven't looked at them in in quite a while, so it's hard to hard to give an honest answer. Um, Tuk Unbo has asked us, what are your thoughts on? Archer Daniel Midlands ADM. Um, so again, I think they're a competitor of a, a company that I write about called Ingredient. Um, so they're in the the food industry. If you look at the balance sheet, it looks like they have quite a strong balance sheet. To be fair, they got very little depth. Um, their equity is roughly I can't see the figures there, but twenty twenty billion. Um, the cash flow has been all over the place over the last few years, but I think that's been like that for almost all that industry. Um, they do have a good history in terms of dividends and increasing dividends, um, and they do have some strong, actually, free cash flow growth over the last couple of years. So, yeah, look, it's it's one of those cyclical businesses. Um, I follow Ingredient a little bit better, and I know corn prices and stuff is, is really starting to hit them hard. I'm sure it's probably similar here. Um yeah, I th I think I think it's a company worth looking into. Um, but maybe there might be a better price point for companies like this. I, I prefer to buy these type of companies at the bottom of a cycle um and not at the top. Um yeah. and if it's that like ingredient, they would have done well over the last two to three years. Um and I'm sure their share price has has reflected that. So I would wait for probably a better opportunity. But overall I think it it it's it's a decent company and, and worth and worth looking at. Um, the next question is from 
Mojek. Maciej Maciewicz. You're going to have to start saying the names. Maciej, Maciej. It's from Maciej. Yeah. We have a good Polish following here. I can we, see that. We do, we do. And I need to learn. I need to learn how to pronounce these names. Um, what do you think of Vici's recent acquisition of Bolero and Canyon Ranch? Um, so Bolero are basically bowling alleys. So they bought something like is it 34, 38, 38 different bowling alleys, um, which I thought was quite strange. I don't, I don't know how much of a return they'd get off bowling alleys, but I suppose when when I was looking at it, they they spent about four hundred and thirty two million on this. Um, it's a twenty five year lease back, so they're renting it back to to Bolero, and they're going to stay in, in where they are, and they get roughly thirty one million a year on that. So probably about a what, 12, 13, 14 year payback on that over a twenty five year lease. So probably is not a, a bad. Um, a bad investment for them, but what you got to remember, this is just one percent of Vici's rent roll. Um, they've got two huge tenants in terms of Caesars and MGM, which I wrote about on the on the last article about Vici. Um, is it diversification? Uh, I don't think so. I think with Vici, they have a, a long term plan in mind. They always look at something like this. They they put their foot in the door. It's opened them up to seven. I think 11 new states, but seven of them don't have casinos. So they're probably getting their foot into these areas, getting to know the local governments and local mayors and probably starting to build portfolios there. So it's probably a clever, a clever move from them. Um, and it's for me, it's no harm in diversifying outside casinos either way. But it also gives them rights then if Bolero sell any of their other portfolio properties, Vici get first pick at them as well. So they, they always seem quite quite good at picking up these types of deals um in terms of canyon ranch um they're like a wellness um center they're basically like a huge wellness center and i think it kind of fits in well with vici in terms of vici tried to give people an experience they call themselves an experimental real estate and if you look at canyon ranch they have the same type of philosophy it's a, an experience but a different kind of thing for for wellness um I know there's a a local one here. I'm not going to say the name. Um, I'm not going to say who, who goes to it, but somebody close to me goes to these type of wellness. And it's it's amazing the amount of money that's spent, even in a small one. So I'm thinking if that happens in in Ireland, in a small town in Ireland, it's it's probably tenfold over, over in America. So there's definitely a market there for that. Um, but what they did is is it's more of an investment. So they become a property or they become an investor in this Canyon Ranch and they're financing, um, financing them. I think it's 150 million that they're, that they're investing in this type of company and helping them grow and they they make money back on that. And I think they also bought some some businesses off Canyon Ranch as well separately to this as well. So look, I think they're two actually okay deals. Um, but we got to remember the amount of money we're looking at here is quite small in terms of their overall revenue and 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 that. So I'm not too concerned. Um, and they paid for Bolero in cash as well so it's to me it's not it's not too bad of a deal but i definitely don't think it's diversification but i don't think they weren't um too much considering they don't even impact the rent at all okay um mayek has also asked us about alexandra real estate Um he said he used the analysis from the vici newsletter and he just wants to share some facts um, funds from operations uh, per share growth was 6% year-on-year. Year. Dividend per share growth is 5% year-on-year. 
dividend payout ratio is 55%, occupancy ratio 93%, no debt maturities um, prior 2025, um, debt to EBITDA 5.1, and an interest coverage of 8. Um, look like decent numbers really don't they this looks like a really good uh, uh from the from the metrics right it looks really good really solid so i think much a um, well done by the way first of all on the homework really nice to see how people start to to do this themselves and how, how we can learn from each other and influence each other and i think much a now the question is like start reading up a little bit about management their business plan that they have where do they see growth what what's their what's their strategy and if you're still convinced well you know what then i would see no reason for stopping yourself and not buying it right it's all about building conviction the numbers seem to be very solid yeah and and look the one thing i i believe i fell short on in the vici analysis is their tenant like they're so how would you say they've got two two customers or two two tenants that have so much of their rent you really need to do a deep a separate deep dive analysis on both of those companies to make sure that they can continue to afford the rent and then we know there's rent escalators in there so can they continue to pay that if if that happens so i think you need to look at the tenants a little bit as well just to make sure that they're okay and there's no other other risk there as i said that's where i think i fell short on vici but overall are look uh, they look it's a good starting point i think it's um it's definitely worth looking into a little bit more um peter carlson has asked us what do you think evolution ab should will could do with huge amount of excess capital they are generating and um, paying oh. issues dividend is barely making a bump and acquisitions which management have said are not on the table yeah, it makes also not a lot of sense to do acquisitions when you're in such a growth uh, uh, path because then you will only get distracted because this business is just growing with 20-25% annually. It's crazy. And look, um, I think they can save a little bit up for the future while they are growing so fast. Um, although now under 1,000 uh, Swedish crowns, maybe they should start buying it back at a price to earnings of 19 25% uh, uh, growth gives even a pack ratio of less than one, one of the Peter Lynch favorite uh, metrics where you look at the PE and the growth. I mean, they should probably just buy back shares if they, if they have cash left from their free cash flow. I don't see anything else that they should do right now. I would love their dividend policy to be changed a little bit, not to distribute out 50% of profit. Um, from my point of view, they should just say like, you know growing dividend and of course and and maybe then not bump the dividend by 50 or 60 percent if you have so much growth but just like by 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 10 percent if you had a good year this is effectively what microsoft is doing over time of course you make the yield lower but for current investors i think it brings stability which is nice Cool. Um, okay, I think we'll we'll leave it at that. We still have around eight or nine questions that are still on the list, but what we'll do is we'll take them and maybe answer some of them next week. Um, there's some companies in there I'm not 100% familiar in, so I'd like to give them enough time to, to look at them. But thanks a million for, for all the questions. I was not honestly expecting so many. Um, so I hope we did them justice. Um, as always, European DJ, thanks for your insights. And to our listeners, we will see you all next week.
Remember, both of us at Dividend Talk are not certified financial specialists through formal education. We are just two guys sharing our journey for inspiration and entertainment purposes. Hence, this is not investment advice. Although we do our best, we can't promise that the information discussed is always correct, nor appropriate for you or anybody else. We always recommend that you do your own due diligence and be accountable for your own choices. As we always say, you can't borrow conviction from others. Last but not least, by listening to our podcast, you agree to hold us harmless from any ramifications, financial or otherwise, that occur to you as a result of acting on information provided in this podcast. Thank you.